Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories to tell. Today, we're talking to two political experts about the Republican candidate for president, Donald Trump, and his waging war against top-ranking members of his own party, like House Speaker Paul Ryan and others. We're joined by Dr. Richard Vetter. He's a world-renowned economist. He also is a historian, columnist, and author. He's a distinguished professor emeritus in economics at Ohio University. He also is a senior fellow at the Independent Institute. Dr. Vetter is a noted Republican and has advised Congress on economic issues on numerous occasions. You've followed Republican politics all your uh, adult life. Have you ever seen anything like this election from on the Republican side? Uh, I haven't seen anything like this on either side, although the – well, that's not quite true probably. It is true the Republican Party has gone through more uh, craziness and uh, drama in this election cycle, I think, than at any time in my life. Uh, in 76, there was some rather high drama in the Republican Party because there was a very, very, very closely contested uh, a nomination battle between Gerald Ford uh, and uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, there were periods in time where the Rockefeller wing of the Republican Party, which was, uh, say, the more left or com uh, progressive wing of the Republican Party, was at severe arms, odds with the rest of the party, and there were some rather dramatic convention fights and so forth, but nothing like this. Nothing it seemed that, like all, everything came together after the, yeah, after yeah. the battle. Yeah, I, I would say that, although I will say this, uh, and I'm not trying to defend the Republicans, who I think uh, behaved uh, abysmally in terms of getting their act together. <laughs> you, you couldn't do much worse than they've done, actually. Uh, the... Uh, yeah, if you look at the history of both parties over the last 50 or 60 years, uh, you see quite a few splits. But usually when splits happen, they're splits. I mean, they're honest-to-God splits. People leave temporarily, at least, uh, the party, be it Republican or Democrat, and sometimes run for president as independent. Uh, in the Republican Party, I think a Ross Perot. Uh, who actually, I uh, checked this out, in 1992 got almost 19% of the vote wow. for, for president. And he ran as a re uh, he, he, he wanted to run as a Republican. He didn't get the nomination, so he ran as an independent. In 96, he formed his own party called the Reform Party and uh, got 8% of the vote again. And quietly, in the year 2000, he uh, re-registered as a Republican, where at age 90-something or other, he still is. <laughs> and uh, and you can go on. There's a guy even who's still living. I couldn't believe this, that he's still living. A guy named John Anderson, who was sort of a middle-road, slightly progressive Republican, sort of a middle-of-the-road Republican, less, less conservative than Ronald Reagan. And he wanted to be the alternative to Reagan. And he ran in 1980. He got 9% of the votes. Uh, he, he, in other words, he 
sort of split from the Republican Party, but he was uh, went back, I think, to this day, he's a Republican living in Rockford, Illinois, and um, but he had this temporary split. And of course, the most famous of all, which I'm sure you were going to will raise at some point, was in 1912 when the Republican Party had the battle royal. This would be the one other contest for the most divisive Republican Party ever. Uh, but again, they sort of did it honestly in 1912. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, a past president of the United States, who is actually much more popular than the present president, <laughs> uh, uh, William Howard Taft of Ohio, of Ohio of course. And uh, Taft was the sitting uh, president. He had been, in a sense, Roosevelt's anointed a successor, Roosevelt didn't like the way he was doing his job, wasn't progressive enough, etc. So uh, Taft got the Republican nomination. So Roosevelt said, the heck with that. I'm going to run as an independent, uh, as a progressive, and uh, literally as a progressive. And Roosevelt got 27 percent of the vote, uh, more than Taft did, by the way. <laughs> uh, and Woodrow Wilson won the election with 42 percent of the vote, which is a pretty low, uh, you may, by American political standards, pretty low percentage to be elected president. But he won and won moderately decisively because of the split in the Republican Party. But, but if I remember correctly, my history, uh, Teddy Roosevelt started the Bull Moose Party. So, oh, yeah. so he split and, and, and yeah, he took won. off a different party. Here we're having all this intra-fighting within the party. Yeah, this is the big difference. Uh, uh, by the way, the Democrats, uh, you know, had uh, George Wallace, uh, who right. was a, uh, a governor who was a Democrat, uh, who uh, ran for president and got uh, a, a uh, uh, 10 million votes and uh, – uh, 46 electoral votes, 14 percent of the of the uh, uh, con uh, popular vote in 1968. In 48, we had a really interesting election because we, in effect, had uh, three or four presidential candidates. Four, we had Harry Truman and Thomas E. Dewey, but we had Strom Thurmond, a registered Democrat, uh, who who won. Dozens of electoral votes in the South, running out. They called it the Dixiecrat ticket. That's it's right. The split from the Democratic Party, and uh, we had Henry Wallace, who was vice president of the United States under FDR. Uh, you know, impeccable Democratic Party. Uh, traditions, who had had lurched somewhat to the left, or quite a bit to the left, and ran as. I forgot what the, the the name of the party was, but it was another – it was the leftist alternative to the traditional Democratic New Deal type uh, party of Harry Truman and, uh, and by extension, uh, uh, Roosevelt. So we've had a series of th – these, these uh, snits and civil wars within parties are not uh, – are fairly common, but it is true that this Republican – uh, um, situation in 2016 is unique, I think, because the Democrats, uh, you know, they had a pretty wing-ding fight, and uh, if you believe some of the recent WikiLeaks stuff that maybe uh, uh, it wasn't being fought entirely fairly behind the scenes, the Democratic National Committee was rooting uh, probably appropriately from a long-term political point of view for Hillary. Uh, and uh, but Sanders uh, put up a heck of a fight, and but they've come together. I mean, you know, Sanders Bernie's out there uh, giving speeches for Hillary, and it's a fairly, tr I would say, traditional way we resolve these little spats. So the Republican one is unique, and uh, but we've never had a candidate quite like Trump, uh, who is a person with zero affiliation with the party before. Uh, the primary season, it was unclear which party he uh, really favored. Uh, it, he, uh, you know, given money over the years to anyone who, everybody, <laughs> everyone who would support his political, his business interests. I right. think, and in that he's not on. That's not unusual among business leaders. But he certainly didn't have a strong 
connection to the Republican Party. We, we've had outliers on both sides, if I remember. In yeah. 1964, Barry Goldwater was to the extreme of the Republican Party. In 1972, uh, George McGovern certainly was the, yeah, at the extreme I, I know, of the, the Democratic Party. Exactly. But they were still within the party. That's right. In 64, the Rockefeller ring, uh, Rockefeller was to the left of the center of the Republican Party, and Goldwater, who was clearly to the right of the center of the Republican, far right of the center of the Republican Party, had a wingding of a, of a battle uh, uh, in the convention and all. But uh, when it was all over, I don't know that Nelson Rockefeller went out and tirelessly campaigned for Barry Goldwater. But, 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 but at least they had a... a, a, a a, a truce. You didn't see them on the news every day. No, they uh, weren't. They were complaining. They were. Uh, that's right. And uh, in '72, you know, uh, McGovern, uh, be, you know, the Dems, uh, Democrats had uh, another uh, had alternatives. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Hubert Humphrey type Democrats, uh, and uh, McGovern uh, uh, slayed them in the primaries and so forth. And but the party came together pretty well. And, so have you ever seen uh, a situation where you have the presidential candidate of a party doing direct attacks on the the Republican or the, his own party's Speaker of the House? You know, it's, it's not just, oh, the Republicans aren't supporting me. I mean, these are direct attacks no, on, on people in power within the Republican Party. I think absolutely you're right. I've never seen that. And uh, I think Trump has decided, rightly or wrongly, I suspect wrongly from a, just winning the election point of view, but I must admit I've been wrong on Trump uh, <laughs> many times before. I, I, so I, I, I don't want to really uh, predict too much about Don't want to count him out yet, right? No, uh, and 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 it's an I'll get to that later on. I think, uh, you know, I think some people are writing off Trump a little too early. But um, uh, in spite of all the outrageous things he said about people within his own party, not to mention, of course, other people, uh, and the non-sort of presidential demeanor, I guess you might say, well, which I think in a way is true of both candidates. This has become an unusually dirty campaign. But uh, the attacks on the Speaker of the House are, are unprecedented, I think. And uh, uh, I think pr Trump has probably made a calculation that the establishment of the Republican Party doesn't like me, and I don't need them now. And I am going to run as a populist. And I'm going to run as a populist in the same way that – this is a f comparison you were probably not expecting – that William Jennings Bryan ran as a populist in 1896. Now, admittedly, I'm getting back a little early. Even your oldest uh, listeners are, <laughs> <laughs> were not, are not – Personally familiar with the election of eighteen, nor were you. No, nor was <laughs> First I. Hand. Nor was I. Uh, uh, not even. Uh, I was a couple generations away from that one. But uh, in eighteen ninety six, uh, the Democrats uh, had several potential candidates for president, and Brian was a young thirty something year old brash lawyer from the prairies, Nebraska, if I recall. And he came into the Democratic Convention. He was a Democrat, but he was a clearly a populist Democrat, sort of in the George McGovern mode, I guess you might say, something uh, clearly on the uh, more uh, slightly radical uh, fringe of the Democratic Party. He came in and gave the greatest political speech ever given in the United States at the 1890s, the so-called cross of gold speech at the Democratic Convention. We're not going to crucify mankind on a cross of gold. The issue is the gold standard. He wanted cheap money. He wanted, uh, uh, he wanted Janet Yellen, uh, as uh, Janet Yellen was not born yet, but he wanted a, a uh, someone who would uh, provide easy money and uh, credit and so forth. And uh, that was the big issue of the day. And But he ran as a populist. And he lost and he, to William McKinley, and he lost 
moderately uh, uh, severely, but by the way, that wasn't the end of Brian. He ran again. A couple. He was a major factor in the Democratic Party right up to the day he died. He was also the lawyer on the Scopes trial. By right. The way. He, the, a, he the, had a fascinating the monkey trial. Yeah, monkey trial. Someone ought Tennessee. to. Someone ought to. I, I'd like to read a biography of, of Brian. He's an interesting character. In some ways, although— it, Brian versus Clarence Darrow. That yeah, would have been yeah, something yeah, to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Uh, that was, I would have loved to have been in that trial. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, I think uh, Trump is trying to reach out to—he uh, already has the sort of the blue-collar, uh, white— uh, 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 voter in his pocket, uh, a large part of the country, uh, that have been somewhat disaffected. There are a lot of people who are sort of sick of both parties and political correctness, and they're sick of what they think is dictates from Washington. And these aren't always conservative. Some of them are liberal, some of them conservative. It's just, we know how to do it. We're better than you. We're your betters. There's been quite a few books written about this lately. People saying the American people are less united than they used to be, that the, the gated communities that are physical gated communities that separate the rich and the poor are also, there are other differences, you know, between the rich and poor developing. And Trump is kind of Somehow, for I don't know how he understands this because he is not exactly poor himself, but he has sort of uh, tapped into that sort of almost by trial and error, I think. it's He's running this entire campaign on trial and error. The, the anger factor. Yeah. He might not tap into it as to have and have nots, but he certainly taps into it as the anger factor. Yeah, and there are a lot of people who are disaffected by things going on. You, you see the polls. Is America going in the right direction? Uh, and you get a very low percentage saying it is. Uh, so Americans are unhappy, but they're unhappy with the Republicans. They're unhappy with the Democrats. They're unhappy with the political process. Uh, are, do you trust Congress? Very, very low rankings, you know, uh, 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 for th uh, that. I mean, I think if you ask people, would you rather have Congress running your country or Vladimir Putin, it's not clear to me who would win. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's how bad it is. Well, and, you've got the media down there low. You've got Congress down yeah, there the low. The media, yeah, uh, and of course the, uh, the mainstream parties. Uh, and Trump is throwing gasoline on that, the media one. But uh, I think he's uh, he views that not as a losing thing, but a winning thing. And I, he may be right. I don't. You know, time will tell. This, what what this, election for for? It is, as pundits have called it, the the scorched earth uh, tactic of, of Donald Trump. What's that do to a party? What does that do well, to, to the aftermath of the election, win or lose? Yeah, I think, well, if Trump were to win, that it's a whole new ball game, And I think eventually the i'll call it the paul ryan wing of the party let's call it just mainstream republican sure. uh wing of the party will ultimately prevail in but it will be long and there will be some contentions in there and there'll be some issues where for example trade and immigration where there will be huge intra-party fights and uh, probably the best thing for the Republican to do is just stay away from those issues. I mean, for the sake of the party's survival, because they're, they're flashy, they're big issues where there's enormous differences. So what do you do when you have big differences with someone? Well, let's talk about something else. Uh, so I think probably the Republican, you know, when we've had these splits in the past, the Republican Party has pulled together. This is, uh, and I think Trump is a one, either wins his time or he, and he's elected president or he's done. I mean, he's not going to run it. He's, first of all, he's 70 years old. Uh, he'll be 74 the next time around. And the Republicans, I think, will, sometimes they're slow to learn, but they, they, they do. They are. What about the, the possibility of an alt-right party led by Trump or a populist party or however you, a Breitbart party, however you would well, want to characterize it? Well, I suppose, it. you know, you've got the uh, Breitbarts and you've got the Laura Ingrams and you've got the uh, Ann Coulters. 
who have some influence. But, you know, these movements come and go. We don't hear as much about the Tea Party as we did five. We hear something. No, they're moderate. No, the Tea Party, uh, in fact, I was reading something in the paper the other day, uh, a a local, you know, who was uh, Sarah Grace, uh, whether she would go or not go to a Tea Party event. I guess she went. Uh, So, uh, which would not be the case five years ago, I think. So, So, yeah, part of the problem, too, is the process, the whole process. And this is true in both parties. We had 16 or 17 Republican candidates. We've had uh, 6, 8, 10 before. I mean, large numbers are not in itself unusual. But the notion that we'll stick it, stick it out to the bitter end, uh, which where the last one staying was John Kasich, actually, but— uh, the, uh, the, the these young politicians, young in a presidential sense, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, uh, would be two good examples. Uh, Scott Walker sort of was traditionally in the sense that he pulled out. He says, "I'm not doing too well. I'm going to pull out." Rick Perry ultimately pulled out. Some of them did pull out, but Rubio is and Cruz are young and they think they're invincible. They've done well in their own states. They've both been elected a grand total of one time Once. to the U.S. Right. Senate. Of course, you know, you can say the same thing about Barack Obama. Sure. The modern era is you, uh, because of television, because of uh, uh, social media, you know, a person can go from obscurity to uh, uh, top dog in a, a lightning fast time, much less time than it used to take. And so, uh, a Cruz, uh, who is fiercely ambitious and by all accounts a very bright guy, Durst, Alan Dershowitz said he was the brightest student he ever had uh, at Harvard Law School. Uh, you can get a guy who's fiercely ambitious, clever, and so forth, who will fight to the bitter end. And if in the final analysis his party loses, so be it. Uh, I'm in it for myself. There's a lot of selfishness here. And I think more so. There's no George Washingtons or Abraham Lincolns or Franklin D. Roosevelt's or Ronald Reagan's in, in, in among any of these politicians. The closest, actually, I, the one I give the most credit to is, is Bernie Sanders. In the final analysis, when the smoke cleared, Bernie Sanders said, I'm going to be a good trooper. I'm going to join right. the fight with Hillary. Uh, there, a lot of the Republicans, you know, to this day, uh, John Kasich, who uh, our governor of Ohio, a friend of mine, I must say, a guy I like, uh, to this day has not endorsed Trump. In fact, he's pretty much said, I'm going to vote against Trump. I uh, wouldn't go to the Republican convention even. Uh, and uh, Ted Cruz went to the Republican convention to try to foment a revolt of some sort designed to help him in 2020 that I think backfired on him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and uh, the 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 the, uh, the traditional Republican candidates of which George uh, of which uh, Jeb Bush was the uh, quintessential example, the establishment candidate. He, although he, 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 even he hasn't gotten behind Trump, at least he's, he hasn't got into a big, you know, he's civil war over the issue. He's sort of retreated, I think, into the Bush family compound, wherever that is, <laughs> as, right. as, his, as is his brother, as is his father. And it's interesting. You've got a family with as much prominence in a party as the Bushes, and to have not a single one of them uh, even saying a positive word about the Republican candidate for president is— In is, fact, is, just is the amazing. opposite, and, saying, and, and, I won't vote for it. Yeah, I mean, the op- it, it really is extraordinary. And, uh, you know, multiple generations. And George H.W. Bush may not have been the most exciting guy in the world, but most people thought he's a person of uh, re- respected him, thinks he's a man of integrity, sort of a, a traditional American president. Uh, and, uh, in you know, he's in his 90s now, and he's madder than hell, I guess, at, uh, he is. Uh, at uh, uh, the Trump. So, so have people written off Donald Trump too soon? Uh, we we get all of these polls. There was one in Ohio uh, just recently that was in his favor, but the national polls seem to be going against him. But but I get the feeling that 
polls may not be all that accurate this time. I completely agree, Tom. Uh, I think there's Trump has a there's a sort of a disrespectability factor with Trump. Uh, you don't want to come out in polite company and tell people I really like Donald Trump. I he tells it like it is, because if you say that, you're someone's going to say, well, you don't like handicapped people, you don't like Muslims, you don't like immigrants, you don't like this group or that group. You're 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 disrespectful of women. Uh, all of the many groups that, at one point or other, Donald Trump has has uh, made comments that could be viewed as insults over. So uh, you don't want to come out and admit you're for Trump. I call it the David Duke factor. There was a, the a politician in Louisiana, David Duke, who uh, 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 promoted what I, I think are pretty close to be we could call racist uh Views. Former Klansman. Uh, Klansman. Or, 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 he yeah. wanted to have, I think, what, the National Association for the Advancement of White People or some such thing like that. And he did much better politically than people ever thought he would because there were the polls would say maybe I'm going to, or the, the pollers would say he's going to get 20 or 30 percent. He'd get 10 percent more than anyone predicted because. Uh, a lot of people in the sanctity of the secret ballot would vote for him that would not admit it to the general public. Uh, so uh, I think there's a little bit of that at work here. Uh, I think the Trump supporters are a little bit more, uh, should we say, enthusiastic than some of the people who are against Trump may not go to the polls. You know, you, there's always a factor of who's going to go to the polls. Uh, you had certain groups that historically would be very strongly for Hillary, African Americans, for example, who seem like they're for Hillary, but they, they don't have the enthusiasm that they had for Barack Obama. And a lot of them are just going to say, the heck with it, I'd rather do something else that day or whatever than go to the polls. So I think Trump might do better than possible. And also I would point out that these polls have shown a fair amount of volatility over the last few weeks. Now, to be sure, we're getting closer to the election. Tomorrow night's the last debate. It's the last big encounter where you might get a game-changing uh, numbers overnight uh, over something said. But we've had all these revelations. You know, first, uh, you know, the Washington Post and others uh, revealed about uh, the Trump uh, uh, sexual innuendos and uh, comments uh, with Billy Bush. Uh, the uh, uh, the all the WikiLeaks stuff. I mean, all of the email thing. It just never goes away. It's uh, front page of uh, one of the morning papers I looked at this morning. Page one, uh, still talking about that. Maybe something will. Maybe uh, Julian Assange is sitting in some embassy somewhere in the world, and he's got a blockbuster that he's waiting to. You know, the October surprise right. uh, that he might reveal. So I think this is uh, less uh, in the bag than maybe some people are starting to. Assume I, I know uh, Elizabeth Warren the other day is already yelling about uh, I want so and so fired and I want so and so in the cabinet and I want this and that. She's being very assertive, and I think maybe she's being a tad premature. And I suspect Hillary, aside from the fact that she doesn't want to be told what who to appoint, yeah, right. is is probably a little annoyed that uh, this adds to complacency and uh, something she doesn't want to uh, uh, promote at this point. You're a world-renowned uh, economist. Are, are the issues getting lost in this election? I mean, we're talking about all of these things that are personal in nature or personality-driven. Absolutely, Tom. If I were the Republican nominee, if I were the Republican nominee, a lot of Americans would revoke their citizenship. <laughs> they, they wouldn't even wait for the election. They would move. Uh, to Turks and Caicos is where I recommend, by there the way. There you go. Uh, but if I were uh, – anyway, returning to this absurd idea. If I were the Republican nominee at this point, I would be talking about the – uh, sluggish state of the economy seven years into an upturn. 
Uh, yeah, we have a low unemployment rate, but we have a relatively low proportion of the population working. There seems to wages have not risen dramatically. Uh, the uh, real family, median family income or household income is a tad below what it was before the recession began. And it's like we've lost nine years, eight years as a nation. We're used to things moving up constantly. They haven't moved up. They're kind of revived, uh, gotten back to where they were. The economy's not in horrible shape at the moment, but it is not where it ought to be at this stage in the business cycle. Uh, and I think, you know, people would be talking about those kinds of things. And uh, the foreign policy, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, who knows, but it's certainly been inco somewhat incoherent. And uh, there are a lot of areas of worry these days. I mean, President Obama has been a little tentative and he's changed positions a lot. And uh, Hillary doesn't get the blame for all of that, but she was Secretary of State for four years. Right. So if I were the president nominee, I would probably, uh, a, a presidential nominee, I probably would be picking up on foreign policy much more than normal simply because of her, uh, you know. And uh, economic dissatisfaction. Yeah, those would be the issues. And so, that's all I would talk about. I wouldn't call, well, you know, uh, sure, I would say, you know, it's, I don't like the e email situation. And I, I think Hillary, uh, how, how did she get to be worth $100 million or whatever? Why is Chelsea living in a $10 million apartment? Uh, I'd I mention those things as an aside, as a sort of a secondary. But it wouldn't be your direct But it wouldn't be my thrust. main thrust. No. Uh, so I, you know, in effect, the American people look at that and they say, both candidates are morally despicable. Uh, but neither one are talking about the issues. Now, who do I vote for? You know, that's kind of where we are right now. And no, because no one's really talking much about the issues. Hillary, you know, and you know, we'll just say, yeah, if I'm for free college and I want to raise the minimum wage, there's a little bit. I, I don't want to say there's, you know, nothing. Uh, I heard uh, uh, Trump the other day saying that he wants to allow insurance companies uh, to operate in multiple, across state lines. That's one restriction now that, you know, in the health insurance industry, every state is treated as a separate entity, and he says that. And I thought, well, that was actually refreshing. Whether it's right or wrong, it's refreshing to hear you heard him talk. something. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about something. Uh, and I said, well, good. Keep it going. Talk about something else with the Obamacare if you want. But uh, uh, So, yeah, Obamacare, uh, that would be another one. There's a lot of dissatisfaction. There are a lot of premium increases going in this year. If I were the Republican, uh, the Los Angeles Times two days ago said that the average premium in in California, will go up 13.2% next year. Uh, the uh, Star Tribune in Minneapolis said that it'll go up anywhere from 36 to 69% in Minnesota. Those are huge increases. And so I would pounce on that. And then, the, you know, there might be counters to this, but I would turn the issue to uh, real issues. What does this war within the Republican Party, if I can call it that, or at least the attacks by by the front runner Donald Trump or the the party leader, what does that do for down ballot races? I mean, the, it seems to me that not only are, is there a battle for the presidency in 2016, but there's a battle for control of the Senate, and and less likely a battle for control of the House, but still important at that level. But if you're having this war between the Speaker of the House and the, the presidential candidate, <laughs> does that have any impact down ballot? I think it potentially does. It's, we've never had an election quite like this. So it's so-called experts usually uh, rely on past experience to make their sage predictions. There is really, uh, well, there are there are historical instances where the head of the ticket's been unpopular, and it has had, and you know, we can look at that. This isn't the first time in history that's happened, but it is somewhat uh, unusual this election, uh, particularly when the front runner is actually attacking other members of his own party. It's almost like he's saying, "Vote for the other party uh, for Senate or for a House." Or calling whatever. them naive, yeah, calling yeah. them ineffectual, yeah, yeah, and attacking Congress. Um, I think the Senate, before Trump went off on this sort of anti-Republican rampage, I think the Republicans had about a 
60% chance of holding the Senate. I think it was clearly uh, up because there were some races which people thought would be very, very tight, including here in Ohio, uh, Portman versus Strickland. Uh, I, you know, I think if you ask anyone a couple of weeks ago, they say it's in the bag for Portman because he is, uh, as Carl Rove put it in a column he wrote, the very best senatorial campaign in the United States is being run by Rob Portman. Ran a very good, has been running uh, for a vote maximization point of view, which is the only thing that counts in elections. Uh, right. He's doing a superb job. Uh, uh, I, you know, Kelly uh, Ayotte in uh, New Hampshire is in a horrible bind to the point that she finally felt she had to come out and say, I'm not going to vote for Trump. Well, did she win more votes or lose more votes doing that? Who knows? Because there are independents who will respect her for that and vote for her, but there are Republicans who will say she's a traitor to her party. So, uh, and she was one of those at risk. Ron Johnson in Wisconsin is probably gone because of this. I think he will be a, ca uh, a casualty to, uh, he might have been anyway, uh, Feingold, uh, Russ Feingold, well-known uh, sure. uh, uh, opponent. Uh, so you go around the various Senate races and you, 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 you add up the numbers. And it, for a while, I, I was adding up the numbers and reading all the polls. And I thought the Republicans had a, a little better than a 50-50 chance. Now I think they have a, at best a 50-50 chance, maybe a 40 percent chance. They're still – it still could happen. But it has uh, moved uh, – the advantage has moved to the Democrats because in some of these races, they have five, 10,000 vote move is all it's going to take because there's some very close races out there. Uh, and uh, so that uh, the Senate is 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 huge because the Senate, for example, the Senate is the Senate and the President determine the Supreme Court. It's as simple as yeah. that. The House has no role, zero no role, zero no role, role to play in the Supreme no Court. No role. And uh, what is the most important thing long term for the country that a president can impact other than specific policy moves? It's the Supreme Court. I've always argued. I, I've that. always argued. Yeah, you of all yeah. people have argued. I, yeah, I know you have. And uh, the, the Supreme Court, I mean, just the uh, uh, passing of Justice Scalia drove home the importance of mar little marginal changes in the Supreme Court can have huge consequences. So uh, uh, I think if Hillary won, won and the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, that uh, I, uh, there would have to be some sort of accommodation made. John McCain, is a, who's considered generally one of the more adult voices in the Republican Party, uh, 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 John McCain has said there's no way in hell we're going to not uh, accept whoever uh, Hillary nominates, which to me is the opening stage in a negotiation over, sure. <laughs> over well, uh, give us five names and, you know, right. uh, Hillary, give us Republicans five names and we'll We'll pick one that you know that we could live Judge with. Judge Garland, so yeah, better yeah, and yeah, better. Yeah, than the it might be now. Judge Garland. The Republicans <laughs> may be pushing Judge Garland. That's right. Uh, so I, I think that's the huge area where it could have an impact. The the House, uh, I kind of think the Republicans are going to keep control. Last last thing I want to talk about, and again, it's unprecedented, and that's this uh, last minute under three-week attack on the electoral process, the rigged election, uh, when every statistic in the world shows that voter fraud, if it exists, and it does in some cases, but it's so minimal. So uh, this whole undercutting of the electoral process, how does I, that fit? Well, it, it's crazy, I think. In, first of all, it's crazy, first of all, as a right. And the issue is it right or wrong to do it? And the second issue is it politically smart? Taking the f second issue first, I just said he, Trump ought to be talking about policy. He ought to be talking about Obamacare or the state of the economy or the horrible foreign policy more than he is. So the time he spends talking about voter fraud, he ought to be spending on something else. Secondly, I would agree with you. Voter fraud is a minor issue in this country. It is 
an issue, probably maybe a little more of an issue than we sometimes give it credit for. But it should not, three weeks before the election, suddenly be raised to call into question the whole integrity of the process. That's wrong. Having said that, however, having said that, and I completely agree with all of that, uh, part of this is his attack on the media. And there has been more and more evidence even has come out from these WikiLeaks things uh, uh, that a lot of the press are behaving in a non-traditional way. The press is, they, you know, we, so most of them are going to vote for Hillary. We know that. Fine. But should they be uh, 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 posing uh, giving questions, you know, when the CNN debate should, CNN questions that are going to be uh, asked in the debate be forwarded to Hillary in advance, but not to Trump. That's clearly unfair. That's a rigging of sorts. Uh, and there's a, a fair amount of that. And I, and I do think, I actually think Trump's attacks on the media probably are going to help him more than hurt him. But I do agree that that has nothing to do much with the process itself. You know, is your vote going to be counted, and is it going to be counted for the guy or a gal that you uh, wanted it to go for? So I, I, I think Trump uh, has erred in, in putting too much emphasis on that. We'll let you get to class. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. We'll be back after this message. At the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University, students and faculty aren't just ready for change, they're hungry for it. The Scripps College of Communication was awarded $878,000 by Ohio University for an immersive media initiative that will allow students to become skilled leaders in immersive media, especially virtual and augmented reality. The college's Game Research and Immersive Design Lab will serve as the hub for the initiative and provide several million dollars worth of equipment, processes, intellectual property, and award-winning scholars and partnerships for the project. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. We also have touched base again with Kyle Kondik, our election statistical man, our analyst without spin. He's an expert on American campaigns and elections. He gives us an update on what Trump's scorched earth campaign might do to election figures and how it might impact down ballot races and swing states. Given uh, Trump's attacks uh, on the GOP. Do you have any idea how that might impact the ballot box in less than three weeks away? Well, it does still seem as though Trump will get a fairly high degree of Republican Party unity. Maybe not quite as much party unity as he needs, but there's every expectation at this point that uh, 80 percent or more of self-identified Republicans will uh, indeed vote for Trump across the country. And there's this big divide amongst the Republican base electorate, which may not love Trump uniformly, but is certainly comfortable with him versus uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, and then you've got the leadership of the party that uh, has many, many leaders of the party have either refused to endorse Trump altogether uh, or have withdrawn, excuse me, withdrawn their endorsements in recent, uh, in recent weeks. So there's this, this leadership versus uh, 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 base uh, problem in the Republican Party, and that's compounded by the, uh, the fact that Republicans really don't like their own leaders much anyway. And if you've got this divide between leaders and, and the base, that's a, that's some, that's a divide that, that existed before Trump came along. So it could make for a very unhappy post-election period, uh, particularly if Trump loses, because you'll have uh, probably Trump uh, and many of the base voters blaming the leadership for Trump not winning, which is... Uh, uh, could could be very problematic for the party. Well, this intra-party fighting, uh, I guess it may be one-way fighting, Trump uh, calling out uh, Speaker Ryan and, and other leaders of the Republican Party. Do you see that, Kyle, having any impact on down-ballot races for the Senate or the House? There has been a pretty strong connection in recent years between the presidential race and the down-ballot races. 
maybe not as much ticket splitting as there used to be in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, with people voting one party for president and the other party down the ballot. Uh, ticket splitting may come back a little bit this year precisely because Trump is probably not going to get as many self-identified Republicans as he needs, uh, but some of those voters may vote Republican down the ticket, and that could help some Republicans like uh, Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, Kelly Ayotte of New Hampshire, uh, and other Republicans maybe survive. But uh, I think it might be difficult if, if Hillary Clinton ends up winning states like Pennsylvania and New Hampshire by more than the five-and-a-half-point margin that Barack Obama won the it may be very difficult for some of those senators uh, to hang on. And the trajectory of the presidential race in most places is fairly poor for Trump. And I just wonder if that might also translate to uh, problems down the ticket for, for uh, uh, Republican senators and House members. The other thing is that uh, some it appears as though uh, the decision by some Republican candidates to disavow Trump may actually be hurting them with the Republican base. A good example is Joe Heck, a U.S. House member who's running for U.S. Senate in uh, Nevada. Uh, he he seems to be losing in the polls now after he uh, decided to uh, withdraw his endorsement of Donald Trump, which apparently has upset some of the Trump supporters in Nevada. And so some of these uh, candidates are having having a really challenging time because – they want to distance themselves from Trump to appeal to the middle, but by doing that, they may be alienating some of their own base voters. Trying to understand uh, Trump's strategy in, in claiming just recently and probably up to and through the election that this is a rigged system, is that a strategy that might impact turnout, or where would that show up on Election Day? There is some political science research that indicates that if voters think that their vote's not going to count or that the system is rigged or that the the uh, the outcome is preordained, that they may just decide not to vote. And so it's actually possible that by making, I think, pretty irresponsible comments about the uh, integrity of American elections, Donald Trump may actually be hurting himself as opposed to helping himself. The research I've seen shows that, yeah, there is some voter fraud, but the, the, the percentage is so infinitesimally low uh, that it really has no impact. I think that that's probably right. Uh, look, I mean, I think that it's important that our elections are as good as they can be. Uh, and I don't know if they're perfect, but I think that the United States had much more problem with outright voter, pro- voter fraud uh, maybe a half century or more ago, and I think that I think you can make a good argument that uh, Lyndon Johnson's election to the Senate in 1948 arguably was um, was fraudulent. Um, there are some claims of, of fraudulent votes, maybe leading to John F. Kennedy winning Illinois and Texas in the 1960 election. Of course, that was connected to Lyndon Johnson, at least in Texas. Uh, but I do think that the way we conduct elections are much. Uh, much more transparent and fair than they were uh, back then. And so I don't necessarily think that um, voter fraud is a particularly huge problem. I think that there are problems with uh, access to uh, the ballot box. I mean, certainly a lot of states, Ohio is one of them, has fairly uh, or have fairly robust uh, early voting and absentee voting. But uh, some of the efforts to uh, maybe have people present identification at the ballots are uh, at, at the polling lo- locations. Uh, uh, some courts have struck some of those uh, um, some of those laws down in certain certain states because they're uh, they're too restrictive and maybe might disproportionately affect um, you know people who don't have means and particularly uh, people who may be minorities. And so uh, you know I think that uh, again I think that this this argument about voter fraud um, is really not right. And I think that. Uh, again, Trump is being pretty irresponsible by claiming in advance that the election is going to be rigged. I mean, I just don't think there's really any evidence to suggest that that would be the case. All right, Kyle, last issue, less than three weeks away from the election. The key swing states that you and I have talked about before, Nevada, Colorado, North Carolina, Ohio, Florida, among others, are they still in play and still the most important factors? Uh, I think that Hillary Clinton is on track to win the election. 
Uh, I think that if she did not win the election, it would be a it represent a mass either a massive polling misfire uh, or a total collapse by Clinton in the last three weeks. She's up by uh, probably about six or seven points nationally, which is really a very a very big lead and a very big hole for Donald Trump to dig out of. I think that Clinton is probably leading in all of the states she needs and more. She probably doesn't even need a Florida North Carolina, or North Carolina, but she's probably leading in both of those states. I think she's probably still leading in Ohio, although Ohio seems very close. In some ways, it's demographically friendlier to Trump than some of these other swing states. Uh, Colorado, Virginia, Pennsylvania look pretty solid for, for Clinton. And so, uh, you know, Clinton, again, is, is leading in, in more, more than enough states at, at this moment for her to win the election. Ohio seems to be going back and forth, at least depending on the pollster and depending on the day. Uh, you think it's very close? I think it's very close. I think Clinton is probably leading, although some public polls disagree with that. Uh, for historical and demographic reasons, Trump will do better in Ohio than he does nationally. The history is that Ohio typically votes very close to the national average. In fact, no state has voted closer to the national average uh, since uh, since the start of the 20th century. Uh, but to the extent Ohio deviates from the national average, it's usually in a Republican direction. Ohio has been more Republican than the nation in 24 of the last 30 presidential elections. Additionally, the demographics of the state are a little more favorable to Trump. Uh, basically, to, to oversimplify, Ohio is whiter than the nation, and white voters generally skew more Republican. Uh, and also, there's an education gap in this election where Clinton is outperforming Democratic performance amongst college or whites with a college degree, and Trump is outperforming typical Republican performance among whites who do not have a college degree. Ohio's white electorate is slightly less educated than the national average, and so that that education gap actually works to Trump's benefit in Ohio. So you put that all together, Ohio will vote, uh, Trump will do better in Ohio than nationally. Whether that's enough for him to carry the state is a different question. And again, uh, no Republican has ever won the White House without Ohio, but several Democrats have. And so Clinton could lose Ohio, but still do fine in the Electoral College. Kyle, once again, thank you for giving us the latest update. Uh, we really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Tom. Today, we've been talking to Dr. Richard Vetter, a world-class economist and a longtime Republican, and election expert Kyle Kondik. We've been talking about Donald Trump's intra-party war with fellow Republicans. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through iTunes. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.